If you're new with us, we're working our way through the book of Daniel. And we've got to chapter 7, and you'll have noticed that uh, of late, uh, this last few weeks, we're, starting, we're, we're actually slowing down a little bit, um, looking at l- smaller sections of Daniel. Um, and I want to start with a quote from Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who's one of my heroes. Um, and then as I, as I go through the preach, you know, I hope you'll understand why I've quoted this. He said, The Christian is the man or woman who can be certain about the ultimate even when he is uncertain about the immediate. And I'll say that again. The Christian is the man or woman who can be certain about the ultimate even when he is uncertain about the immediate. Sometimes when you're preaching, you're, you're given a verse or a passage and there's only one target. You have no other route to go down. You get one target and that's it. And uh, you hope that you kind of get enough material out of it to preach and to kind of communicate. But sometimes you get a target which is huge. And actually, so, it's so big, it's confusing as to where to actually try to hit there's so many targets, there's so many, so big, just bang, 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 where do I go? And I feel like that this morning. Actually, I feel that when we get into Daniel chapter 7, the target is so big, it's been hard for me to kind of focus on one particular aspect of it. But, as we've been worshipping this morning, bit by bit, actually, even as we've worshipped, the target's got kind of more crystallised which has been really helpful, because I was sitting there at nine o'clock this morning thinking, please, Jesus, help me, because I need help. And so, at some point during this preach, I'm going to stray away from my notes, because I feel God's led me down a slightly different path. I want to start where Roger left last week. Do you remember, well, who remembers what last week was about? Without opening your Bibles, without cheating... What was Roger preaching about last week? Pauline? Yes, so that was part of it, yeah. He was talking about the end, um, how this passage in Daniel relates to a lot of what's happening in Revelation and the Ancient of Days. Anybody else brave enough to put their hands up? Sheila? The beasts. The beasts. Remember the beasts? Four of them. And they were going to He has this vision about these beasts and they're going to devour the earth. But the last one is the most terrible and um, how they were uh, released to ravage the earth and the people of God. Anything else? It's always good, you know, when you're preaching to know that it lasted a week. It's even better if it lasts a lifetime, but I don't think I'm in that class. Nathan? The beast represented different kingdoms. And okay, so that's kind of the context. If you haven't seen it or you want a refresher, I want you to go back and have a look because I thought last week Roger's preach on how Daniel saw what was happening around him and his vision of God. I think it's really important for us right now. Really important. And he preached a most outstanding 
preach on uh, the, the first part of Daniel 7. Please go and watch it again. The reason we put things on YouTube is so that you ha- can refresh yourself and, re- and rethink things through. So we're going to read Daniel chapter 7, and um, hopefully this will come up on your screen. Verses 9 and 10. As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took its seat. His clothing was as white as snow, the hair of his head was white like wool. His throne were flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out before him, and thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated, and the books were opened. Two verses, massive target. And how I'm going to preach through this without straying into verses um, 13 and 14, I have no idea, but I'm going to try. Uh, Because you're going to get verses 13 and 14 later on this month. I'm trying to stay away from it. So Daniel, let's remember, Daniel's in captivity. He's now an older man. Um, We know that he's probably in his 60s, 70s at this point. And he has this vision of these four beasts. And these four beasts, uh, as I said, were, were being released to ravage the known world, and particularly the people of God. And each one was getting increasingly more violent and aggressive. Okay, and Daniel, I'll pick up on something that Roger said last week. In verse 15, he says this, As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious, and the visions of my head alarmed me. Daniel is terrified by what he's, he's seen. He's alarmed. And interestingly, he's alarmed even after he's quoted, he's actually sung this song of praise. So he has the vision, and he sings this song of praise about the Ancient of Days, and he's still alarmed. He's still terrified. And then he asks for an explanation, and he's given an explanation. And when we get to the end of the chapter, he says... Here is the end of the matter. Full stop. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me and my colour changed. He was so terrified by what he had seen and heard that the blood drained from his face. You ever felt that terrified? Something so bad's happening your colour just drains away and you're left terrified. These four beasts represented, as Nathan said, the four kingdoms that were following behind uh, Belshazzar's um, kingdom. And they represented various elements, uh, eventually the Egyptian king, um, you've got uh, Alexander the Great, the Greek kings, and then finally the big one, the final beast, the Roman Empire, which was going to come and ravage the earth, persecution, uh, persecuting people all over the face of the earth. And while we don't um, have that kind of turmoil in our country, although there are some countries that have that turmoil, 
What Daniel's talking about, his disaster is going to come. Suffering is going to come. Things are going to get worse before they get better. Okay, and um, I've, in my Christian life, I've, you know, um, over the years, I've thought about <clears throat> all sorts of elements of what's going to happen next. I remember when I was a child, um, there was all sorts of uh, nuclear stuff going on. Some of you were older than me. Some of you come through the Second World War. I'm not going to ask for you to put your hands up, but I know some of you did to some extent or other. And then, as I said, as a child, there was all sorts of crises going on. Were they ever going to push the button? Um, but the one thing I wanted more than anything else was to get to the year 2000. Because in my tiny little brain at the time, I believed that at the point of two, year 2000, Jesus would return and everything was going to be fine. It's puerile. It's silly. It was, but that's what I wanted. And... I would have been 39 at the year 2000. I thought that was a reasonable age to have lived before Jesus returned, and that was going to be fine. You can work it out for yourself now. Um, but that was, that was in my head. But what I've discovered, and, and, sorry, before I get into that, and I thought that being a Christian and part of the church, we were going to be changing the world around us. In fact, I remember songs at Stoneleigh, we are world changers. You remember those sort of songs, we're going to go out there and change the world. We're going to do this, we're going to do that, we're going to do the other. God's with us, how can we possibly fail? And I genuinely believed, and still do believe, that actually I can make a difference in the world. But I've come to realise I'm not a world changer. Nor are we. Because the Bible's quite clear. From time immemorial, things get worse and worse. They don't get better. In all our technology, in all our cleverness, in all our culture, in all the things that we can do with science and technology and goodness knows what else, you will be told time and time again, this is going to make life better. It's going to make life better for you. It's going to make life better. Truth is, actually, the reality of my life, which is, I don't want to be depressing, but the reality is, actually, as I, sit, watch, look, as I look back over 62 years, the reality is things have got worse, not better. Now, that just may, might be my perspective of life. Those four beasts, although we're talking about kingdoms, they still ravage the earth. We know that Satan's one desire is to destroy. To destroy. What does he want to destroy? He wants to destroy the image of God in mankind. Destroy it entirely. That's his, that's his role. That's what he wants to do. And as politics and culture and science and all these things which often very good in themselves, but actually, bit by bit, by bit by bit, what you're finding is it's trying to destroy all these things and manipulating all the time to try to destroy the image of God in mankind. We're saying that actually I know better than the living God about my life and what it's worth. It's depressing. Listen, 
things are getting worse. And I feel, you know, in the things that we do sometimes, um, I feel like I'm throwing mud at a brick wall and it's just falling off. We're trying to feed people because they don't have money. But every week there's more of them. And every week the need gets worse. And we live in a culture in the 21st century, in the first world, where we can't feed people. And it's getting worse. We live in a, a world where actually technology is such that I can, at a flick of a button, a press of, a, well, a press of my phone, I can communicate with hundreds of people all at once, and yet loneliness is becoming rampant. Things seem to be getting worse. And this is what Daniel's looking at. He's, he's given this vision by God, and I, I'm not going to go on because I, I don't want you to kind of go away depressed. Okay? I don't want that to happen. Honestly, it's going to get better. But listen, Daniel is, is reading this passage. He's getting this vision from God, and all he can see is things are going to get worse to the point where the colour drained from his face. It was awful. That's the context in which this little bit of Daniel is being written. And then, in the middle of it all, he has these two visions. Okay, and the first one we're going to look at. I'm going to read it again. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, its wheels were burning, a stream of fire issued and came out before him, a thousand and thousands served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. What did I say right at the beginning? The Christian is a man who, cannot, who can be certain about the ultimate, even when he's uncertain about the immediate. I don't know what's going to happen in the world around us. I don't know what's going to happen next. I don't know how the politics are going to work out. I don't know all these things. And in my head, I'm trying to run it all through. But actually, so I'm, I'm utterly uncertain about today. But I can be utterly certain about the ultimate purpose. And there's where Daniel sits. And he sets off, and we're going to look at this passage, because actually what I want to present to you is not the uncertainty of our times, but the certainty of our God. Certainty of God the Father. Because if we don't lift our eyes off what's going on in the world and we don't look at God, we're lost. The one thing that's that keeps driving me through my life isn't the need around me and all the other stuff that I've just been talking about. The one thing that drives me is Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It has to be. So we're going to look at some scriptures, hopefully, that help us understand. Revelation chapter 20 verse 4 echoes this passage. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded. Things don't get any better. 
And I saw the souls of those who'd been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. There's thrones, Daniel says, there's thrones. Revelation says there's thrones. They're, they're, they're there in the very courtroom of heaven. We can be certain that there is a courtroom in heaven waiting judgment. We can be utterly certain that things are not out of control. When I look around the world, the thing that helps me is that actually things are not out of control. There is a throne room, and in that throne room, there's going to be authority and judgment, as we're going to look at in a minute. John also says, by the blood of the Lamb and the testimony of the saints that they overcame. These people who were beheaded, they overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the testimony of the saints. These thrones. So what are these thrones? Well, as I just alluded to, they're a courtroom. It's the court of heaven. And in the court of heaven, there's the thrones that are around and as Daniel says, there's, we'll come on to in a second, thousands times ten thousands times ten thousands seated around the throne. Revelation says it's exactly the same thing. And it's the court of heaven. And we must start to see who sits on the thrones. It's going to be helpful for us to understand that. Well, first of all, without getting into the later passage, we know that Jesus is given all authority and is seated at the right hand of God the Father. Jesus himself is sitting in that courtroom. We know that the saints sit there. Luke chapter 9 um, talks about, or he, he talks about, we've got authority. We have authority in the courtroom. Because of our testimony, because we love Jesus, because uh, what we've, we've done through our lives, how we've glorified God and brought Jesus uh, honour, we will be there in that courtroom. And every one of those ten thousands of ten thousands of ten thousands will bring judgment upon, upon sin. You have authority. And one day that authority will, because of your love for Jesus and your purity that God gives you, you'll be sitting there and as sin is judged, your testimony will be part of that judgment. Have you thought about that? The things you do today, the things I do today, that bring honour to God, will eventually be part of that judgement on sin. I don't want to speculate about who else sits on the thrones, because that would be speculation, and I don't want to get into heresy. But we know that there's thrones, not one throne, but multiple thrones, in this courtroom, because that's what he says. Thrones were placed. And the Ancient of Days took his seat. Ancient of Days is a term for an old man. I, I, I hesitate to say who's the oldest here, but whoever is the oldest here would be called the Ancient of Days. If you've got silver hair, wool, in Jewish thinking, you'd be called an Ancient of Days. Reverence is given to them. It's a 
term of respect and honour, not the way that we often use it. You know, kind of derogatory, oh, that old man, whatever. No, no, in Jewish thinking, actually, age was reverenced and honoured and valued. I want to say, if you're silver-haired or woolen-haired, I just want to tell you that you're valued and honoured. Okay? Now, that's, I'm, I think I'm halfway there, because I've only got half a head of hair. When I grow a beard these days, it's grey. It's like horrible. Anyway, that's beside the point. I don't know why I said that. But listen, the ancient of days. This term here in this passage is talking about how old and revered God is. He was before time began. He wasn't created like we were. He didn't start at a point. He always was. And the Bible says he always will be. And when time comes to an end, he will continue for eternity. From eternity to eternity. From right... As far back as you can go to, as far back as you want to go. Listen, this is the Ancient of Days. He's revered and honoured. He's respected. And he sits on his throne. And sitting in Jewish thinking is the ultimate judgment. I'm going to sit. When the court, when the judge came, when the elders came, when the revered man came and sat down, everybody else had to listen. Everybody listens to the old man. The Ancient of Days, our God, sits on a throne and brings judgment. And now the court is sitting because the chief judge has arrived and sat. Nothing could take place beforehand. They all have to wait for the Ancient of Days to sit. And when he seats, sits, judgment can begin. And here we are, this vision of this Ancient of Days, seated, seating before those that were going to be brought before him. Why is fire involved in this? There's a lot of imagery here. His throne was fiery flames, its wheels were burning with fire, and a stream of fire issues and comes out before him. Well, fire is seen as, first of all, as a punishment. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay or straw, their work will be shown for what it is. Because the day will bring it to light. The day being when the court sits, when the Ancient of Day sits down, when he returns to earth. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder receives a reward. Where's Margaret? Where's Margaret? The crown. I want to build things that survive. I want that crown. If it's burned up, the builder will suffer loss and yet will be saved, even though 
as one escaping through the flames. Listen, fire in the Bible talks about punishment. It talks about testing works. And if you survive, you get a reward. If you don't survive, your building doesn't survive, well, you're still saved, but you don't get your reward. We don't talk about that very often as Christians, but everything we're doing is building something that in eternity will be tested by fire. Will it survive? Malachi 3 talks about cleansing. But who, if you like the Messiah, you'll know this passage really well. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a laundress soap. He will sit as a refiner and purify of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. And then the, men, uh, the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness. My works will be tested and refined by fire, by the judge who sits on the throne. He will come and kind of all those things that were rubbish will be burned away and those things that are really precious will be scooped off. Silver, gold, a refiner's fire. Revelation 19 talks about how fire is an indignation at sin. I saw heaven standing open before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and his heads, his head, on his head are many crowns, and he has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. This rider looks at injustice and war and judges it, and is indignant at sin, angry at sin. He's angry at what's going on around us when it's sinful. And he's indignant about it. And he's going to bring judgment on the earth. And then finally, Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. What about wheels? Why are the wheels in this passage? Well, the wheels... Of a, sorry, an ancient throne in, old, in the, um, this period would often have wheels on it so that when the judge or the king gives his judgment, he could turn to the north and he would turn to the south and turn to the whatever it is that comes next and turn to whatever's last. I can't remember. North, south, east, west. So everybody, everybody in his kingdom knew what his judgment was. This ancient of days, his judgment goes to the ends of the earth and everybody has to obey it. He turns his wheels round and his judgment comes forth. No man, no woman, no child can escape the judgment. We all have to obey. And then finally, in this little bit, thousands and thousands, times ten thousands, times ten thousands, there are some cultures who go like this when they're counting one, two, three, four lots. This is lots. The kingdom of God that is coming is growing and growing and growing and growing and growing. And there's going to be multitudes, millions and millions times, millions and millions, 
of people who will stand before the throne room of God and worship him. Don't buy the lie. Don't buy the lie that the church is getting smaller. Actually, there are more Christians alive today than there's ever been. And it grows day by day by day. Churches in, in South America, China, India, churches are growing fast. They may be declining in the West, and we deserve it. Listen, the kingdom of God is growing day by day by day by day. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people coming into the kingdom on a daily basis. It's amazing. And the court sat in judgment and the books are opened. This king sits down, this ancient of days sits down and a book is brought before him. In Revelation 20 it says this, Then I saw a great white throne and, uh, and him who was seated on it. So it's the same throne. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for them. I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and the books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The book is opened and the judge looks at the books and makes his judgment. The book of life. And in the book of life, it lists all those millions and millions and millions of people that have come into the kingdom of God. And I am one of them. My name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And your name is, if you're a Christian, your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. It gives you the security of knowing that when he opens the books and brings judgment, he sees your name, the judgment doesn't stand anymore because of Christ. Because we're written firmly, deeply, into the Lamb's Book of Life. The books were opened. The Book of Law. The Book of Grace. The books of Mercy were opened by this ancient king. In Revelation we're told, the worthy is the Lamb who was slain. He's worthy, he's the only person worthy to unlock the scrolls. And I'm strained. So here we are in this courtroom with thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people. I can't be certain about the immediate, but one thing I know is that one day the Ancient of Days will sit and create his judgment across the whole earth. One thing I know that I'm going to be in that crowd where his judgments will come forth and he reads his book, and my name's in the Lamb's Book of Life, and I see the judgment, and we rejoice and shout, Worthy, 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 worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive all honour and glory and power and might. And then, finally, Lorna read from chapter 7 of Revelation. After this I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one can number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, 
standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. Heaven will resound with songs about salvation belongs to our God. See, my hope is not in politics anymore. My hope is not in activities. My hope is not in what's going on around us. My hope is, is actually salvation belongs to our God. His judgments are true and honest, righteous, pure, holy. And when he judges, it'll, it'll be like that. But actually, my security is that salvation belongs to our God. It doesn't belong to me. It doesn't belong to you. It doesn't belong to the world around us. Salvation only comes from our God. We are recipients of salvation. We are recipients of the God who sits on the throne and says, he's one of mine. She's one of mine. Salvation comes from God alone. I don't wake up one morning and say, oh, I fancy becoming a Christian. That'd be a nice idea. No, no, no. God comes and he calls me by name and says, come to this kingdom now. Salvation belongs to our God. And the only response that we'll have to the Ancient of Days sitting on his throne as we see his purity, his holiness, his righteousness, his judgments, his mercy, all the things that he will bring as part of his judgment as he looks at the earth and what we've done and everything around it, our only response is, salvation belongs to our God, bow down and worship. And we'll say his judgments are true. Who are we to question his judgments on the earth? Who are we to question what he's been doing? Salvation belongs to our God. Worthy is the Lamb. We will cry forever and ever and ever as we look at the Ancient of Days. We'll see all the things that he's done. We'll see his judgment on the earth. And our cry will be, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. The Ancient of Days. The King on his throne. The one who demonstrates his judgment. The one who will send it out to all four corners of the earth. That's the ultimate that we can depend on. That's the certainty which we can stake our lives on. And some of these people did. They were beheaded. And even when the colour drains from my face and I end in despair, alarmed at what I'm seeing around me, concerned about how I could change the world, concerned about how dreadful things could get. Do you know what? I have to look to the ancient of days and say, salvation belongs to our God, who sits on his throne. Let me stand. Do you have a, you have a song? It says in Revelation that they sang a new song. They sang. 
They worshipped, they knelt before him. Not one person stood before the throne would question his judgment. Not one person can say God has done evil. Not one person can say you are not fair God. Not one person will say but you don't understand. His judgments are true and our response to his judgments and his throne is worthy is the Lamb. Let's sing together and just worship the Ancient of Days. Thank you.